Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing fantastic, Neil, and I'm so excited to talk to our next guest. Absolutely. Our next guest is Emmy-nominated and newly Emmy-nominated actor, <laughs> E.T., uh, coming up with a milestone of 300 TV and films, D. Wallace. D., thanks for stopping by. And I mean, I'm blown away. And you told me this each time we've come on and talked. You're like, Neil, I'm getting busier. I'm More things are popping up. More work yeah. is coming my way. Explain more of that to us and what's happening. Well, you know, I love, first of all, I know what I want. And I love everything I do. And when those two things come together, knowing what you want, being clear, and most people think they do, but they don't, being clear about what you want, and then just feeling that beingness of love around it, the universe goes, okay, here, here, here's some more, here's some more. <laughs> Every once in a while, I have to go, all right, universe, I, I just need a little tiny break not a big one just a little tiny break <laughs> but yeah things are popping everywhere and my daughter just got married and so we're it's personal and it's professional and that's creates a really good balance in my life well that sounds pretty amazing that sounds like the perfect formula for law of attraction is, is that something that you study and that you're interested in or teach or well Absolutely, I teach it, but I think it goes beyond the law of attraction into the law of creation. On this plane, we are the gods of us. Nobody can think a thought for us, feel a feeling for us, or hold a belief that we do not choose. So that means we are the gods of us on this plane. And when you accept the responsibility for your own creation and stop thinking that it's luck or it's kismet or if God wants me to have it, then you really start experiencing the joyful power that you are in your own manifestation process. Because they make a, people make a mistake, D, saying, well, I guess I shouldn't have had it, right? I shouldn't have got there. No. Or certain instead of, yeah. That's that's their that's old teachings from um, and and all of our families who loved us very much taught us that that we shouldn't have everything we want because they were taught that but it's not true you you know a lot of us were taught god won't love us we should be humble and not ask for everything we want well if you don't ask you don't get. I mean, it says in the good book, ask and you receive, right? So if you don't ask for what you want, you're probably not going to receive it. And the more you ask and feel love and create it through your beingness of love, your job isn't to figure out how it's going to be manifested. Your job is to know clearly what you want and to feel a lot of love around it. And most of us are, are taught 
not to love what we don't have. So we don't love the money that we don't have, but we all want more money, right? It doesn't work that way. You have to love money in order to magnetize that money to you. You have to love health, not be focused on fixing your broken body, but loving the health, the state of health, so that your body can respond to that. So that's why I mean it's very important to know clearly what you want in the positive of what you want. I just um, got off of a private session where this lady knew she wanted a relationship. But the whole first 10 minutes was how she didn't want the relationship her mom and dad had. And she didn't want the relationship that she had with her first husband. And I said, look, if you keep focusing on all that, that's all your brain can see because our brain thinks in pictures and you're going to create another relationship that's going to play out somehow around that same scenario. I know I did it until I woke up and went, oh, I, I had the belief that women have to take care of men from watching my mom and my grandma, not what I want. I want an equal partner and I want to be an equal partner and we come together then equally and powerfully create a relationship. Oh, that's fantastic. When, when did you, um, getting back to the law of creation that we were talking about, when, when did you consciously become aware that you had this knowledge of the superpower within you, you know, through your, your love and so on? Oh, you know, it's been a process. It's been a process of learning. Actually, I wasn't aware of what I was doing early in my acting career. I just knew it all worked. And I attribute a lot of it to naivete. You know, I was born and raised in Kansas, never left Kansas till I went to New York. And I, I just thought, oh, well, I'm just going to go do this, <laughs> right? Uh, but that allowed me not to doubt. It allowed me not to be in fear. It all looked like a big adventure to me. And so the universe responded. I, if, if you heard the stories of the first four months of my life in New York, it's crazy. It's crazy. I was led to an audition where I met a, a guy that I liked. He took me to a Halloween party. All his agents were there. They were the biggest commercial agents in New York. At the end of the party, they said, why don't you come see us on Monday? We think we'd like to work with you. I didn't even know that what they did. All I knew is that I was in New York and I wanted to be an actress. And I knew I could act because I had acted in Kansas in community theater and stuff, right? So I was just led and, and the universe just kind of opened up all these opportunities. And that really is how it works. It's really how it works. Do you know from the time I left Kansas till the time I started in ET was just a little around six years, which is unheard of. Wow. It, I just went, whoop, you know, from co-stars to, here's another story. Couldn't get on the lots, right? Couldn't get past the guard gates to see all the casting directors. So I went, okay, well, what would I do in Kansas? You'd bake cookies. Anytime you wanted to go meet somebody, you'd bake cookies. So I baked all these chocolate chip cookies, wrapped them up in these big cellophane baskets with bows. And I went to the guard gate and I said, 
hi, I've got some deliveries. He said, yeah, go on through. <laughs> so I spent the whole day taking cookies with my headshot, saying hello to the casting directors. The last casting director was the head casting director. He asked me to come in while I was there. They called from the set and they said, the girl who's playing the waitress is sick and that that scene's up next. What should we do? And he looked at me and he went, what size do you wear? I said, what size do you need, sir? <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first film credit in LA. You know, I didn't know that call was going to happen. No. Not my job <laughs> to know how. My job is just to feel the joy and the love around what I'm clear about that I want to do. So, and that's so important, Dee. So, big accomplishments, I guess. Again, ET's anniversary, that's got to feel great. I saw after we yep. did our interview last year, or it, the, it came around, you got some great photos with the whole cast. Uh, I saw in different magazines, different things. And then you've been working a ton. And that's ten. awesome too. And you're coming up on 300. Kind of explain that, how mo mon monumental that is. Well, I said, to, when my publicist told me I was coming up on 300 film credits, I went, I'm either old or I'm iconic. He said, we're going to pick the second one. <laughs> you know, I just, I love to work. I love to act. Um, and when I'm not acting like today, when I'm finished with you, I have five private sessions, healing sessions in my, in my uh, work about teaching people self-creation. And I thrive on it all. And um, I just finished an end of the world alien movie and I'm going into the sweetest little Christmas movie in uh, a week and a half and I just came home from doing a huge convention in Cincinnati so I just loving everything I do oh and in the middle of all that I threw my daughter's wedding in my backyard for 500 people <laughs> uh, it's crazy I, I was shocked I was able to get you for this interview, because I was talking to your publicist, and he's like, oh my gosh, she is available. Wow. Because <laughs> you're just so busy. And I, I worked it in. I moved yeah, some I people appreciate around. that. Do you always, Dee and I have this quick story really fast that I, we ended up, I ended up part of this uh, competition helping a group of guys from Spain. They were doing a world radio challenge and Dee dialed in. It was really late at night. It was not as late in LA as it was in Pittsburgh. We're, and we were talking to them and it was quite interesting because they didn't know much about D, but they were doing the world radio challenge X amount of years ago. I still have that. Uh, wow. D, I, and D, I remember it like it was yesterday. It's amazing. The journey that we're both on. And I'm so happy for all of your Indeed. success. Greg yeah. has one more question for you, Greg. Go ahead. Okay. One more question. I might know the answer, but I want to hear an original. So D, what's the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned? to love myself. I think that's the most important thing I could share with everybody is we're just not taught to guys, you know, and you're special, you're magnificent. You are the God of you here. Love yourself, love yourself, love yourself even more because that's really what it's all about and when you really truly don't try to get love or give love but to just be love then you take that love into everything you create especially yourself that's fantastic d best place to purchase your books learn more about you where can we go Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or you can go to my website and I will inscribe them personally for you. And what is your website again? I am dwallace.com. All right, D, we appreciate it so much. Thanks again. Look forward to having you on again with some more news 
about. Thank uh, you. More, and more congratulations projects. on all your success, too. Oh, thank you, Dee. All right. Uh, that was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Take care, guys. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Neil. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm excited about our guest for sure. And it's Haley Sales. Haley, thanks for stopping by. Actor, uh, singer, everything, Haley. And you got both. <laughs> How can you do it? So, what first came first, singing or acting? Because that's always interesting to talk about. It is. You know what? It came so early. Like I was a little kid that just loved make believe. And so, to me, I didn't see the distinction because I didn't know you could make a career of it. So, I would just be running around the yard singing 1940 songs or whatnot, pretending I was being chased by a witch. So to me, they kind of all blended together. Uh, I would say music took on the life of its own quicker than acting, but they kind of mold together for me. I love them both. Well, that's pretty exciting. Did So did I read that you're from Canada? Is that right? But I am, eh? Yeah, eh? <laughs> right? So the Molson brothers? You know? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I was I was born in America, but I go. I moved up to Canada when my parents bought a blueberry farm when I was a teenager. So I got I got a little bit of both. And you so, go down to Nashville, I'm assuming. I oh yeah I yeah Nashville's amazing. Oh my, yeah. and all those cities are amazing. Yeah, well, that's the best. <laughs> it's the best. So Haley, mm -hmm. when did you kind of figure out this was going to be a career for you? How old were you? Very, too early. <laughs> I was, uh, I think I decided around five that I was going to do it and make it happen. And uh, by the age of 13 thought, well, I must, uh, should hang up the towel. I'm too old. So it had its perks and its downsides to knowing what I wanted to do so young. But yeah, I just, I just love performing so much. I must've come in with it. I, I don't know any other reason it would have been that, that clear to me. Well, that's great. Do you prefer acting or doing music or, or both? or what's I love them both because they're, they're very different. But I would have to say, if you're like, you get one choice, it would be being on the stage. So that to me is music. Um, I, I love doing films. I, I love all of that. But there's something about being on the stage and the buzz of just I know feeding this. off the audience. Yeah. Right? Right? It's just. Oh, it's amazing. That's home. And right? somewhere it's I might make that come back into the pro wrestling ring. I did not tell should. you that, Greg. I turned 50, <laughs> but it doesn't mean I'm not too old to get back in the ring. Uh, so I'll be in the training, Never I'll be showing should. that on social media. So I'm a former professional wrestler, Haley. So I oh, wrestled wow. for X amount of years. So I know the war of the crowd. It's addicting because when you have that crowd and you feel it, it gives a dopamine that you that's unimaginable. There's and nothing else like it on on earth. It it is the sole reason I have not given up when things got hard. It's just like you just walk on stage and it's like oh, it just I can't. It doesn't matter if it's twenty people, it's thirty people, it's no. whatever. You're feeding off the yeah. audience, you're feeding off the crowd, and it's just, yeah. it just feels fantastic. And it's because you just and and that's if you're if, if you played sports too, you know that the I'm crowd. Sure you're, same, you're going yeah. a home a home court advantage of basketball. I would remember I love the home court versus going on <laughs> being on an away court, but it's still that rush. You run out like in any oh, type yeah. of thing, and there's an audience. It does that. You so you don't feel that. Do you have to kind of envision the audience when you act, Haley? What would you say? You know, I it's actually funny you asked that because I found with acting. I'm not performing. So it's a very different experience to me. Like to me, when I'm in front of a camera, I'm trying to just live it and not think there's any audience. So it's the complete opposite in some ways, because you want the camera to see an intimate moment. Whereas on stage, you're like, here I am. <laughs> and uh, so actually, no, not, not on film, not so much. I do have a hard time with virtual concerts though, because that I find that so hard with music, because I'm, I, I feed off like you're saying the audience. So that's been that's been something that's hard. But with acting, I kind of just view it differently. So I don't I don't necessarily. It might help though. Maybe I should try it. <laughs> so I try to picture people because I didn't have that mindset when I would talk on my show about who's my audience and what am I trying yeah. to connect for years doing it. So I went on Clubhouse, and when I went on Clubhouse and I spoke on oh. Clubhouse for and became addicted to Clubhouse when it first came out and was one of the greatest things in the world, 
I was able yeah. to learn how to communicate with an audience and people coming on stage and feed off of that and understand I'm speaking to an audience wanting them to take action. So when we're yeah. presenting ourselves on camera in any way we are, we have to think about the audience we're presenting to and what do we want mm -hmm. them to truly do? So picture and think about them when we speak. Because when we yeah. don't, we're basically missing the boat. Oh, so. you're you're in a box. You're like, the second I'm not either you know paying attention to the actor in front of me or the audience, I am so self-critical and self-aware that you just, you lose all the magic. Okay. <laughs> you overanalyze it, and then you you lose the magic. Yeah, Greg. Well, who, who's the biggest act that you opened for that you remember? Well, um, I'm trying to think. I, the the most recent one was Rufus Wainwright, and we got to tour around Europe, and he's just been one of my heroes forever. Uh, we got to play the Palladium. Oh, it was just a dream. Uh, as far as biggest, probably the Spice Girls or In Excess. Wow. That was it. That was interesting. So that was my first huge, stadium. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. so fun. So just, how many people? Is the bigger the, the crowd, the biggest crowd you performed in front of. I guess it would be about fifty thousand. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's just you buzz like you're just reverberating and the and you you may have experienced this but when you're on a stadium I didn't have in ears at the time you're hearing yourself back like five second delay it was such a trip. It, I definitely had to get used to it. Next time I'm getting in yours, <laughs> but it was a real fun challenge. So I've done 15,000, 17,000. I've performed in front of yeah. me for wrestling. So I understand that. Nice. And it's just, it's just, it's something that's uh, unbelievable. So let's talk about specifically your goals uh, for acting and goals for music. Where do you want to see yourself in both of those? Ooh, well, I, uh, I really am determined with this album to break through in a, in a nice way in the music industry and re-expose a style of music that's that's kind of been forgotten. So to me, I have a huge goal to make as big a splash as possible and open the door for other artists that are maybe doing um, different styles of music that aren't currently being acknowledged. So that's a huge one. I wanna be in a big musical film. Can't wait, it'll be so fun. Uh, We'll get Scorsese to direct it, something like that. So those are two big dreams. Eventually, I'd like to write. Uh, I'm I'm working on a script and musical myself. So someday, who knows? Maybe I'll maybe I'll be able to accomplish that as well. Well, that's pretty fantastic. Um, if there was a particular either musician or group or actor that you would aspire and love to work with, who would that be? Oh, that's so tough. There's so many. Uh, I would love to work with Tom Hanks. I just think he seems like the coolest guy on the planet. I'd love to work with him. I think that'd be really fun. For music, oh, trying to think. There are so many. It'd be fun to do do something Barbara Streisand, actually. That's totally off the top of my head, but she is one of the most phenomenal vocalists of our time. There's so many though. I'm like, or this guy, or this woman, or this. <laughs> like I could go on forever and we don't have time. But uh, any of those phenomenal artists. Be fun to do something with Michael Bublé too, because he's British Colombian as well, and we're kind of bringing back that old style of music. So mm -hmm. that'd be that'd be great. Now, what do you think your biggest break in acting so far has been? Uh I think it might be Lucky Hank, the one that we're that we just did, mainly because I got to break into comedy, and I love comedy, and uh, I don't even consider myself a comedian. But the people around me were so funny. As long as I could not laugh, it's gonna. It was it was such a joy to do that. And again, how challenging and difficult is it to hear what happened to Bruce Willis and definitely working with it him? It broke my heart. Absolutely broke my heart. He when we got to work together, first of all, I didn't, I, I, I did not notice anything that would insinuate that illness. So when I heard my heart broke, he, the first moment I saw him, I was, of course, it's Bruce Willis. Let's be honest. Like I have the total jitters and basically sweating bullets. And he sees me, he comes up to me. He's like, I'm Bruce Willis. It's nice to meet you, Haley. And I was like, I know you're Bruce Willis. Oh my gosh. You're so nice. And he, between takes, would sit, you know, we'd sit and talk and he'd just kind of 
be present and we'd stay in the moment together. I, he's one of those actors that just being able to have a conversation with them or a scene with them, it's worth 10 years of acting lessons. Like he was, he was brilliant and he was so nice to me. It's just very, very heartbreaking to hear the news. Yeah. It's terrible. Do do you have a favorite movie of Bruce Willis's? I love them all. (laughs) I mean, I mean, it might be the most predictable, but Die Hard, you, you oh, just, yeah. that's so good. You just, they're all incredible, but that Sixth Sense, oh, there's so many good ones. Yeah. And he's so incredible in all of them. And he is that, like, you know how some actors, they don't change when the camera rolls. It's, it, you're getting to see them, they're, they're very intimate uh, moments. It's, he's great. Nothing, nothing but amazing things to say about him, except that I feel so bad for his situation. All right. Latest projects going on with you, Haley. Tell us what's going on. Yeah. Well, we just finished my, the next album I'm going to be allowed to release. So excited. Uh, we, we literally just, I'm like, what date is it? A week ago, got the last master back and, uh, that's going to come out later this year. We just filmed the music video on Saturday for the first single. That's that's my priority this year is finally it's been 10 years since I've released music and to finally start getting music back out there and hopefully see where that goes. All right. And Greg has his final question. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. So so Haley, um, what's the most important thing in life that you feel you've ever learned? Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. I, I would say to battle at all costs apathy and to try to maintain your hope because I feel like life is this beautiful combination of absolute highs and, and things that will tear you down, but they won't tear you down if you can still see that there's a reason they're happening. Like for me, every single thing that's been tragic has actually after the tragic traumatic experiences subsided a bit. Oh, some magical door has opened that I I couldn't have planned. You know, it just so again, I think it's it's battling the apathy that's so easy to fall into, especially right now, and maintaining hope and never giving up. I think it's uh, that's that's huge for sure. Where's best place people can find information on you and find your music? Where can they go? You can just all the usual suspects, Haley Sales, uh, my website, Spotify, Apple, Instagram, all all those, all those fun platforms are you gonna be touring again soon or are you gonna get a chance I'm ho- I, yeah i'm hoping to i think we're looking at fall so mm-hmm. you know now that the record's done we'll start releasing singles in late summer and be off to the races and other projects you can't tell us in movies you have to just wait right you're all <laughs> and all those things coming yeah up. well lucky hank keep an eye on that one because i my character pops up soon and okay hangs around the faculty so that that's the most up-to-date one that you can watch all right thank you Haley. we appreciate it yeah thank you both you're lovely all right that was a special simulcast of the neil Haley show and celebrity interviews live from the grotto with greg hannah guys take care hi everyone and welcome to the special simulcast of the neil Haley show and doc tales i'm excited to welcome the host of doc tales world doc alan lindeman doc what's going on man how are you we're doing really well here neil and you Doing fantastic. Our guest today is Dr. Charles Simkovich of Simkovich Concussion Institute. And I've asked him thousands of questions since he's been on my program. During this simulcast, it's all going to be up to Royal Doc to ask the right questions about Dr. Charles. So go ahead, Doc, with your questions, Royal. Well, Dr. Simkovich, I'm assuming that most of your concussion patients have some kind of trauma. Is that is that right? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Either uh, blunt force trauma from sports or car accidents or coup contra coup injuries where they were uh, whipped real hard, as in a car accident or shaken baby syndrome, uh, you know, where you can have a concussion without even hitting your head. Uh, The brain is shaken. The neck is shaken so hard the brain actually bounces off the inside of the skull and then hits the opposite side. So there is definitely trauma. So you treat young people, very young. Oh, yes. We, uh, uh, as an example, we have a, a lot of Amish patients and one of the Amish communities about an hour north of here, uh, they routinely bring uh, newborns in for well baby checks just from birth trauma. 
one day my wife walked in the office and there was an Amish lady holding a baby. And uh, my wife said, oh, when was the baby born? And this Amish lady looked at her and said, three hours ago. But it was a traumatic birth in the ob at Jameson Hospital here in Newcastle. The baby, the baby's head was banana-shaped, and it was pretty bruised. So he told this Amish lady, you know, just to get down there. And this lady literally left the hospital and just came right down to the office. So when you see somebody who's three hours old, what do you do with them? Well, I, I typically examine, uh, first of all, the uh, sphenoid bone. Uh, the sphenoid, as you know, articulates with almost all the other cranial bones. And uh, from our research, it, it uh, we found that it uh, it actually flexes and extends. So it, it kind of moves all the other cranial bones, the temporal bones, the parietal bones, the occipital bones. Uh, and also it houses the pituitary gland. So a lot of our early research, when we did, we really had nothing to look at. There was no precedent for uh, uh, head injuries. So we, we just looked at everything. We did CT scans of the brain, MRIs, blood work. We even did urinalysis, even sputum. We, we, cause there was nothing out there. So one of the findings we found on CT scan was uh, uh, empty cella, which means there's damage to the pituitary gland. So then we started correlating it with a uh, blood work and we found uh, uh, quite often hypothyroidism, various hormonal problems, things like that. And then symptom wise, we, a lot of people after concussions have, um, irritable bowel syndrome. And so over the years, this has all been quantified. So a, a lot of the newborns, you know, the, the parents brought them in because they were fussy or their head heads were misshapen, you know, um, uh, not nursing correctly. A lot of the mothers will tell me if, if she, she, the baby nurse on one side, they're fine. The other side, they can't at all turn their head and they cry. So just various things like that. Um, where there was sort of abnormalities, uh, especially with parents who had multiple babies, they could compare that this child was struggling compared to the other children. Can you tell me a little bit about this uh, three-hour-old baby? What do you, I mean, what did you send the mother home with? What did you tell the parents? Well, if, uh, on, on examination, we found that the pterygoid process is bilaterally uh, which you can access through the roof of the mouth, were really dropped. You can palpate them and feel them. Um, the parietal bones, the, the parietal uh, ridge was not symmetrical bilaterally. There was one side of the parietals that were really dropped. And then you could feel the greater wing of the sphenoid was really projecting superior on the right. So you, you there was a, actually a gentle uh, a treatment where you apply pressure to these to just kind of get the uh, cranial bones moving um, it, it, to give this baby relief. And uh, uh, it, there, there was actually two, the ant atlas was bilaterally anterior uh, very badly. So uh, you, you adjust these cranial faults and, uh, and uh, usually infants respond very quickly because they don't have a lifetime of trauma. Things aren't, um, you know, multiple injuries over multiple years. So usually, usually they respond extremely quick. So did, what kind of follow-up did you have for this three hour old baby? I usually uh, have the parents bring them back in uh, a week or two just to check and make sure they're fine. I do give the parents instructions uh, to watch the baby. If the symptoms worsen, let me know because there might be some other intervention we need to do. Uh, you know, uh, there's also, uh, or I, conversely, I say, if this baby is symptom-free and sleeping and eating and looks fine and their color's fine, there's, there's no jaundice and, and it's healthy, then, then go ahead and cancel. But, you know, every once in a while you find a, a case that's a little tougher. Like we had one case where the baby, it was, it was clear they were showing all, all of the symptoms of a tethered cord. So I sent them to Children's Hospital here in Pittsburgh, and this boy actually had to have surgery. We also had an uh, Amish baby that was in uh, uh, very distressed and, and yellow. And, and when the mother brought uh, him into me, you could see the baby had actually given up. And I said, get him to the emergency right away at Children's. And here, um, uh, the, he had no small intestine. He, the uh, spleen and the, and the uh, liver were switched sides. Make a long story short, the baby had to have extensive abdominal surgery and, and he's doing fine now he's home. And but it was it was a pretty critical case. But, you know, after a while, you start to uh, 
you know, as, as you know, in your practice, you, 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 you can root out these harder problems and realize, you know, they need uh, different things. So I, in a way for a lot of these patients, I'm a clearinghouse where I can send them the right direction. I imagine that as people get older, they present with headaches a lot of times. Is that right? Yeah. The Yes. The symptoms for concussions are, are, I don't know if you've been to the the restaurant Cheesecake Factory. Their, <laughs> their menu is huge. It's pages and pages and pages. So there's a lot to pick from it. And that's what concussions have become now. When I started doing our research in 86, we knew it caused pain like headaches or caused cognitive issues like memory problems or reading problems. So now the the, the, the list is just getting bigger and bigger. I have a lot of people after their concussions, have uh, they lose their sense of taste and smell, uh, memory. Uh, now with our awareness of the glymphatic system and the waste removal system of the brain, uh, we, we know that tau proteins and, and beta amyloid proteins can build up, which can lead to dementias and, and brain disease like CTE. Um, we, we have uh, uh, people who develop TMJ with which the internal and external pterygoid muscles attached to the sphenoid. So they influence how the sphenoid moves. And I have a great ICCMO doctor here that I refer to. It's the International College of Craniomandibular Orthopedics, and she does wonders with TMJ. So it, it's a matter of finding the right thing. But yeah, the symptoms from concussion are, are, are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, the NFL alone, uh, retired players are five times more likely to have erectile dysfunction. And that's because of the uh, pituitary damage which controls the, the, as you know, the pituitary is the, the master gland. Wow. It's like a general in the army, it, it gives orders. Yep. So uh, yeah, we have uh, uh, <laughs> the symptoms are getting really great. I had a fella here in Pittsburgh who was in a, a motorcycle accident and his helmet actually saved his life, but he was in a coma for two weeks. Once he got out of the hospital, he, he came to the office. And the third day he said to me, he goes, you know, my color vision is back and it's vibrant. And he, I said, you never told me your color vision was gone. He said he didn't realize it was gone until it came back. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the, the uh, when I started doing this in our findings, I started reporting that I felt hypothyroidism was from concussion. And I basically got laughed at. And uh, now there's study after study after study about hypothyroidism they believe is from concussion. Now they're leaning towards ALS. Uh, we haven't had a, a, a case of POTS go uh, it, not resolve after treating concussion. So we now think POTS is the, is the result of uh, concussion. And, and you know, POTS is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So a lot of people think they're having heart issues. And now there's pretty good proof that we think it's from concussion. Well, it's great. And it's crazy, Dr. Charles, explain the research to Dr. Lindemann about what has you you've found first yourself and now research is proving that you are correct about what you've done and been able to do for patients. Yes. It, it, and it comes down to anatomy and physiology. Um, when you look at the structure of the sphenoid and it, it obviously articulates, so it influences other bones, houses the pituitary gland. It houses the pineal gland, which regulates serotonin secretion, which is uh, what's a problem during PTSD you have your eye muscles actually attached to the sphenoid, which is going to affect tracking. So we have people like kids who are struggling in school with learning problems. They can't read. They might uh, reread the same line over and over, or skip words or lose their place. It's because the eyes aren't tracking because the eye muscles are influenced when the sphenoid might be tilted. And so, so some of the eye muscles are elongated, some are shortened. So we have an eye tracking issue. Then you add to that three cranial nerves, three, four, and six pass through openings or foramen in the sphenoid, you know, oculomotor, trochlear, and abducens. And so the nerve supply that control eye movement is, can be affected. Then the optic nerve passes through there. Then you have the addition of the, uh, the jaw muscles that attach. So it's like Grand Central Stations. And, and due to the structure of the skull, since it's dome-shaped, almost every blow transfers the forces right to the middle because of the dome. And so the sphenoid actually absorbs everything and it can do a, a lot of various things where it causes aberrant motion of the sphenoid. Um, so that's, that's our focus. And of course the temporal bones can be involved and the parietals can drop and, but uh, there's a whole um, a system of uh, things that can happen from these head injuries.
I have twins, and one of them, at least I did when I was practicing, and one of them had POTS, um, but they were in vitro. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are that to pop up in in vitro um, pregnancies. So I think POTS is probably one of them. Wow, that's amazing. When, when, when I started doing this work years ago, um, you know, the forceps were causing quite a bit of uh, problems. Um, even um, uh, I, I spoke to a concussion group here in Pittsburgh and, and one of the patients was an ob and he was saying, he's retired now, and he was saying he saw a lot of issues with forceps deliveries. And he said, vacuum extractors to a lesser degree but even Pitocin, he said, when you, when you induce somebody, he said, it brings the contraction so hard. Sometimes it's a little hard on the baby. That was his opinion. Well, one thing I've never liked to do is rupture membranes with an unfavorable cervix because I really, in, I've delivered about 6,000 babies with no maternal mortality, but the um, I never have liked to have to rupture membranes early and use the baby's head as a battering ram. Uh, yeah. And we don't have any studies on what kind of trouble that causes, but it sounds like it might be right up your alley. Yeah, we would, uh, uh, I know uh, we've had several ob around here who really are intrigued by by this and, and very interesting. I get a lot of referrals. It, you know, the, the work is getting widespread. I have a, a pilot who approached me. I, I, I do research with Wheeling University's uh, doctoral program of physical therapy. We've done five with one's published, another one's gonna be published. We're on our sixth one. And they've asked for an ongoing relationship, which their their lead researcher is Dr. Mohammed Hadadzadeh, and he's a brilliant researcher, and Dr. Christine Grubler. So they do a, a very comprehensive uh, job of, of research. I'm, I'm lucky to be associated with them. But now when the word's gotten out with that, this this pilot who flies for NetJets has said, listen, the FAA would like to see the effects of these pressurized cabins on their pilots because he said, even though they're pressurized, the higher we go, he said, he feels it after a long trip and he knows he's mentally uh, foggy. So he would like the FAA to join us and do some studies, which I, I think he makes sense. And that's kind of similar to a baby being in, in a pressurized cabin, if you think about it. Well, I really like to keep the bag intact because... With that, you deliver that force over every square centimeter of that baby instead of right on there or there. Yeah, and that makes sense to me. I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Oh, wow. You know, it's uh, uh, Doc, do you have any more questions for Dr. Simkovich? Uh, I have one more question. You know, uh, in, for many years, I practiced in healthcare deserts. And then, of course, that means that I see everybody. One of the problems I've had with, with head injury patients, say, for example, somebody has a head injury while they're working uh, for a train company. Uh, the first thing that happens is the train company sends out a bunch of lawyers and it says it's, well, it's not their fault, it's the fault of the patient. Right. But, but the next big problem is that these people, a lot of times, simply can't access any system at all because they're too addled they get uh they can't fill out the paperwork right so i imagine you see some of those oh they're compromised yes when when uh, patients call my staff is very trained to realize they're compromised and they're gonna have a hard time answering questions and several times i'll have somebody and the paperwork's not filled out because they're incapable right uh, due to the trauma so yeah that's very real and then, and a lot of the cases have been mismanaged. Uh, you know, uh, it, the, the claims that I see come into my office, I actually have a patient, she, uh, uh, I don't know if you heard about the shooting in the synagogue here four years ago where 11 people were killed. Mm -hmm. This patient was actually in the synagogue hiding in a bag of clothes. She survived, which is miraculous. Anyway, she ends up subsequently has a concussion. She ran into tempered glass window of a door that was, closed all the time at her workplace well she went to the work doctor and for this concussion before she found her way to me and this this neurologist actually told her there was no difference running into tempered glass than there is getting hit in head with like by a cotton swab yeah. I, I mean i almost fell off 
the exam table. I said, you sure. know, it's crazy hearing some a statement like that by a professional. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, it, the access, we're trying to fix the access. I work for the NHL Alumni Association and they're actively working with me to um, start to train doctors uh, to put them in uh, cities around the country. Uh, Dr. Amin Kassam is their chief medical officer. He's a brilliant neurosurgeon. He's, he's actually the one who pioneered removing brain tumors through your nose. So you don't have to split your head open. And he, he has a company called Nika Medical that's looking into getting more doctors trained and, and placing them around the country so that everybody has access to this. Because right now it's, it's me. So exactly. Well, like so, yeah. You're doing something as needed. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Best place we can find information on you, Dr. Charles, go where? Uh, Simcovich concussion Institute.com. And if you uh -huh. type in Dr. Simcovich, my website pops up. Most definitely. It was great information. Appreciate it, Rural Doc. All right. Thanks. Guys, that, thanks. Appreciate, appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you. All thanks. right. That was the uh, the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Doc Tales, guys. Take care. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Samantha Pillay. She overcame physical limitations from birth and became South Australia's first female urological surgeon. She's a passionate businesswoman and entrepreneur and founder of Continence Matters, a center of excellence in treating urinary incontinence and the creator of an online course for health professionals. Samantha is a three-time international Amazon number one bestseller author and her book, No Recipe Cookbook, helps kitchen phobes save time, money, and calories with basic cooking tips. She has a picture book series which inspires children to dream big and aim high instilling self-belief and challenging career gender stereotypes and her international e-commerce business promotes a serious message with a smile. Samantha was one of the four finalist nominees for South Australia, Australian of the Year 2022 and a finalist for Telstra Best of Business Awards 2023. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Thank you, Marissa. I'm, I'm glad to be here and thank you for that introduction. So many accolades. I don't know where to start. Uh, why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your story and how you became the South Australia's first female urological sur surgeon? The, the So that part of my career was I was always interested in surgery. Um, I had a lot of surgery as a child and spent a lot of time in hospital. I also was as a result of my interest, did some work experience at when I was 15 in surgery and went off to medical. I finished school when I was 16. I was a bit of an academic and went off to medical school with the idea of becoming a surgeon. And everyone said, you know, oh, it's okay for women to do medicine. That's really good. We have equal numbers now, but whatever you do, don't do surgery because it's not family friendly. And that's what you shouldn't do if you're a woman. And of course, you can't do surgery because you can't stand for long hours and operate because of your hips. So, you know, like most teenagers, that's like, you know, red rag to a bull. So I'm sure that spurred me on. Um, now, it wasn't just that no men had done urology in my state and that it's focused on prostate disease and men's health. Uh, and men's reproductive systems, that, that wasn't enough. It was, it, there were probably other factors that a lot of the operations are actually short, um, that a lot of the operations can be done sitting down. Um, and there were some surgical specialties where, you know, you might have to get up in the middle of the night and start a 13-hour operation that were just, they really were not on the cards for me. So there were other factors that influenced the career choice um, in urology. And then it kind of was like, well, a lot of, incontinence didn't get handled that well. It didn't even get a big focus in our urology training program, yet it affects, you know, a huge proportion of women, like a third of women who've had a baby. And I was realised as the only woman I was going to get a lot. So rather than just kind of doing it well, I wanted to do it extremely well. I said, okay, I'm just going to do that and nothing else. 
Um, so I don't do any general urology, stones or cancers, and th- thought maybe that would be family friendly. I'll only have to work two days a week, not realizing how big the market was because we didn't actually have the studies back then. And I've been very busy working full time ever since over the last 20 years. Um, so subspecialized, one of the first urologists really subspecialized at those times in Australia. That it, Subspecialization was already quite well entrenched in um, the US, but not so much here. Um, and that meant starting my own business, starting my own subspecialty center, realizing that I love entrepreneurship business, being a founder. Um, and that's just taken me on a whole lot of journeys. Um, what loved inspiring the next generation because I was like, God, if I can do it, anyone can. Um, and th- I know it does seem a little bit of a leap to um, books, but I am that sort of idea. If I can do it, this, I, I mean, God, think of it. If I can do it, then anybody can do it. And I was time poor, couldn't exercise, had to manage my weight because of my hips. And it's like, oh, God, I've just realized that if I throw my cookbooks away and cook intuitively without a recipe, my life, you know, and I shop once a fortnight, my life is fantastic. I write a book about it. And then it's like, oh, in actual fact, you can really overcome the barriers if you're passionate and you really want to do something. And those stereotypes form actually from the age of three. So I shouldn't be talking to, you know, parents or teenagers or uni students. I need to talk to the little kids. So it has, that's how it has evolved. It might seem really random, the things I do, but they they are connected loosely. (laughs) I love how you determine your target audience was a, a little kid. I think that's fantastic because that's exactly where we get imprinted with our ideas and our values and our expectations and everything that drives us to be who we are, right? Um, So that's fantastic. It starts with self-belief. So you must have had a lot of it. So you mentioned uh, you overcame physical limitations from birth, but you must have had a positive environment, right? That was imprinted on you to to give you that drive because you're so driven and you have just, I can tell you have a passion for life and you have a passion for just doing and getting things done. And you don't have that limitation that most people have put on themselves. Yeah, I... That is really interesting. Um, And in actual fact, the answer is probably no. I, and so maybe for me, it was partly fueled by self doubt um, and wanting to prove myself um, against the odds. I also didn't fit. So with stereotypes, it's like, oh, you being a surgeon, you know, it might not be pretty, it might not be feminine, it might not be fashionable, it's not seen as society's family friendly. So there's all these stereotypes. Now, I was slightly free of those stereotypes. I came, my parents mixed marriage. Um, I was in a, a school where, you know, I was, there was no one, I was the darkest colored skinned person in my class. And the only one that had any, um, you know, th- there was, I think, one person of sort of Italian and one person of Greek heritage, but a very, uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon, Caucasian background. So I was the coloured girl. Um, I couldn't exercise or play sport. Um, I was very academic. Um, You know, I had to struggle to keep myself from being slightly chubby, which would be considered as skinny in today's terms, uh, but in those days. And everything was against me. So I, I, I wasn't uh, Asian. I wasn't English, um, from my which was my parents' heritage. I wasn't Australian, um, and that probably liberated me from some of those stereotypes. Wow! So you you kind of just said I don't have any limitations, so I can do just about anything. That's a very unique perspective for someone in your situation. I think that's fantastic because many people would say, you know, I don't have any mentors. I don't have anyone that I resonate with. So I don't have any limit, you know, I don't, um, I don't, they, they wouldn't know what to aspire to, right? So it might keep them down because we're always looking for role models and we're always looking for mentors. Um, so yeah. where did you find your role models and mentors growing up? So I was pretty lonely, you know, as far as social, as far as friendships. Um, I couldn't, you know, go on school camps. I couldn't play sport. I I at lunch, I'd have to sit and watch the other kids play. You know, I was in a wheelchair when I started school. I couldn't even kind of move. So I didn't really have role models. I didn't have strong role models. Um, my mum was a stay-at-home mum. Uh, 
and I didn't really have positive relationships. So that all sounds very weird. But what happened was I re- I looked at my future and I thought, and I was in chronic pain all the time. And I thought, I uh, if no one can help me, there's nobody. Absolute, I've got absolutely nobody to help me. No one can fix my problems. No one can help my pain. No one cares. No one wants to even hear about it. You know, I don't need to, to whinge. Um, no one wants to hear a whinger. And I thought to myself, well, it's up to me. I can either look for sympathy and self-pity look for handouts and spend a life on a disability pension and live a pretty poor life or I can do what I want and it's a, it's my responsibility and nobody else's and no one's coming to save me. So you took that where what most people, many people would go into like a woe is me, right, victim mentality and not achieve anything and you spun that around and achieved so many things. Um, that's just fantastic. Yeah, and I think that has always driven me. I've always sort of gone, what can I do for myself? And that's one of the reasons I've been passionate about chronic disease because I've had this lens as a healthcare provider where, you know, as a surgeon, you're always fixing people's problems and then you go, "Mm, an actual fact, they're much more powerful than I am. You know, 80% of chronic disease is preventable. All the heart disease, obesity, diabetes, exercise, you know, people could actually change their destinies. They have that choice and they're much you know, that it, preventing a problem is very different to going to a surgeon and getting a diagnosis and then trying to fix it. So um, I'm very passionate about health prevention. Um, I've had to look after my health, you know, if I, two kilos is that much more pain, you know. So if you've got a, a mobility issue. So that has always driven me to be my best because, that the second best is the reality, the reality of the consequences of not getting off my butt and doing something is very real to me. So you live your life being of service to so many other people, right? Do you, are you now, do you still, do you still ride solo when it comes to supporting yourself and looking for how to move forward? Or are you able to now knowing what you can do for other people, are you able, and that there are people who want to help like you, do you, do you ask for help now? No, I'm very, very, very bad. I'm very bad. Very bad. Uh, You know, if you want me to confess, yes, I don't go out. I don't drink. I don't have a lot of friends. I don't really socialize. I'm so busy working that I've been able to completely um, ignore that aspect, but I am a wonderful mother and I have a fantastic son. Um, and, uh, you know, I haven't wanted anything for me. Um, so it's not that I want it and I don't get it. I don't want it. So I have to create that desire. Um, I'm still a work in progress and I do realize, um, I'm in my sort of mid fifties that as I sort of move forward, I do need to try and find or things to do, but I have to build a desire. You know, my perfect day is get up in the morning and just work all day. That's a a long, busy day. (laughs) Well, especially because sometimes I'll get up at one o'clock in the morning so I can get five hours in before I go to work. Oh, my goodness. Do you do anything for downtime? Do you do any relaxing at all? Housework, ironing, um, (laughs) writing a book, um, uh, masterclass, like learning. I love learning. Um, I, yeah, maybe not the sort of things that other people do. But those are still very relaxing things. You know, those are things they can be very meditative, ironing and cleaning. All of that could be very meditative. Writing is is huge. I mean, you know, in in my coaching, I always you know, a lot of my coaching uh, program is around journaling and journal prompts and getting, you know, things on paper. So writing is very much like that as well. Very relaxing. Those are very relaxing things. Doesn't fit in the category of self-care like. Hey, I'm getting my nails done or I'm going to the spa, but it still fits into that. So you do get that relaxation, that, yeah. you know, that kind of balance around there. Yeah. And I love making up recipes and, you know, out of because I like to be able to do something really good, really fast, really efficiently without any messing up. So my lifestyle has created, channeled me to develop the skill, the, the skills 
Um, so, you know, I think, I, I mean, I'm happy. I'm not, it doesn't worry me. I used to worry about not having enough sleep. I don't worry anymore. I used to worry about, you know, not going out enough. It doesn't worry me anymore. I used to worry about working too much. Now I, I, it doesn't worry me anymore. So I think, you know, that, that that's what happens with uh, age. We, we, we're more comfortable in our own skin. Absolutely. There, there's a few times that I sleep much less, you know, now that I'm older and I'll literally, I'll get up at like two o'clock in the morning and it's like, I'm really not that tired. I'm just going to get up. Like, I, you know, there's no reason to force myself to go to sleep if I don't need it, you know? And so we have to, we have to give ourselves that grace and just get, kind of let our bodies talk to us and, and tell us, you know, how, how we should be and that's those stereotypes about you know women what's a good career for a woman or what you know I don't think I think my career has made me a better mother not a lesser mother I, I you know I'm lucky enough to okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.